Hello there. Welcome to this episode of Forest Ghost Conversations. This is your host, Anthony King, and this week I'm going to take a deep dive look into the classic 1988 film, Willow. Before we get started, I'm inviting you to join the conversation with us. We can be found on Twitter, at Forest Ghost Pod. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok just by searching Forest Ghost Conversations. We look forward to connecting with you on those platforms. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your listening site of choice. Finally, please be sure to check out our Tee Public store to buy some Force Ghost Conversations merchandise. And without further ado, it's time to gather around the campfire for some Force Ghost Conversations. All right, everyone, welcome back to a very, very special episode of Force Ghost Conversations. This is the first time that we've been able to discuss, dissect, and break down a full feature-length film. Now, this isn't a Star Wars film that we're talking about today. This is the high fantasy epic story adventure from none other than George Lucas, it's from Lucasfilm, directed by Ron Howard. This is the 1988 film, Willow. And I love this film unabashedly. Why are, we, why are we discussing this film right now, you may ask? And why are we doing this on a predominantly Star Wars podcast? Well, exactly that. It is a predominantly Star Wars podcast. But we will also branch out and talk about things that are in the, under the Lucasfilm heading from time to time. Particularly, you know, Indiana Jones and Willow. Those are both properties that fall under Lucasfilm. They're produced by George Lucas. They're created under the Lucasfilm banner. And they're prominent pieces of the story that George Lucas believes in. Right? These stories of mythology that are precipice tales for 12-year-olds that are beginning their journeys out in the real world and for the 12 year olds in each of us. Willow is no exception to that. Also, you may have heard, I mean, I talk about this frequently on the podcast. There is a Willow TV series coming out very soon on Disney plus. It'll be premiering on November 30th. That series is a direct sequel to this film. So of course, naturally, we're going to talk about that film, get our thoughts kind of set on the on the paper if you will. And we're just going to have a great time talking about a wonderful movie. So I hope that, you know, if you haven't had a chance yet that you've now been able to Watch Willow. It's on Disney Plus. You can buy the Blu-ray. I hope they release a 4K of it someday. I would love to add that to my physical media collection. But it's predominantly on Disney Plus these days. And if you have Disney Plus, get ready for that so you can watch it on there. As well as the upcoming series when that does debut later in November. 
So this is not a typical Sunday release for Forest Ghost Conversations. I'm not going to include Cloud City Gossip at this portion. We will cover that in our later episode, which will be all about Andor Episode 11. So I hope you're all excited and super stoked about that. But this episode will be purely about the classic film Willow. And if you haven't seen Willow yet, this is a full spoiler discussion. Pause the episode now. Go pull it up on Disney+. And then come back to this episode and let's continue this conversation. With that, everybody, you have been forewarned. We're going to get into all of my <laughs> numerous notes that I've uh, compiled as I rewatched Willow yesterday evening in anticipation for this podcast, at least when I recorded this podcast. It will be released uh, on a Wednesday, and I recorded it on a previous day. So this is Willow. And what is Willow? It is basically George Lucas's Lord of the Rings. It's a film that follows the same B-movie action serial premise that inspired both Star Wars and Indiana Jones, right? There's these action serial films from the 1930s and 40s that really inspired George Lucas in his childhood. And at the center of those films is the idea that they're a little bit scrappy. They are, at their core, something where there is an adventure or a bit of action everywhere you go. Right. You go you it's it's a it's a and then kind of thing. They got here. Then this happens. And then they went here and then this happens and they went here and then this happens. There's action around every corner. And it really falls under this idea of tip of the iceberg storytelling where there's an avenue of different adventures for everywhere, you, every which way you turn. However, it has this high fantasy aspect to it, which further separates Willow from any other project that Lucasfilm had did has done to this point. And, and frankly, since. Willow has a warm place in my heart. It's a film that provides me with that hopeful spirit and belief in the hero's journey, the classic Joseph Campbell work um, that has heavily inspired George Lucas. I mean, Star Wars A New Hope is exactly the hero's journey in a nutshell. Anyone can be a hero, no matter the size. What really matters is the belief in, your, in yourself, your belief in self, your faith in friends, and your ability to learn, grow, and adapt along the way. It's another adventure story with mythological elements for 12-year-olds on the precipice of going out into the real world, as well as the 12-year-old in all of us, as I, as I alluded to earlier. So 1988, this is a directed by Ron Howard. It was, the screenplay was done by Bob Dolman, and the story was done by none other than George Lucas. Some of the cast for Willow include the fantastic Warwick Davis, who plays Willow Upgood. Val Kilmer plays the swordsman Mad Mardigan. Joanne Whaley plays... Sorsha, the daughter of Queen Bavmorda, the evil queen, if you will, who's played by actress Jean Marsh. I think what's important to note is the context of when Willow comes out, right? It comes out in 1988. Towards the end of the 80s, the Star Wars trilogy concluded five years prior. Indiana Jones is also very popular in the 80s here. Last Crusade will be coming out the following year. Lucas also worked with Howard the Duck and Labyrinth, which had come out, I believe, a year or two prior. I think two or three years, actually, if I, if I got my dates all correct. But you got to think, in terms of the high fantasy of it all, 
I don't think there's a whole lot going on in this time period that really fits that mold, especially for people that are fans of the Tolkien lore. This is also over 10 years before Peter Jackson's epic Lord of the Rings trilogy will be released. So for a lot of people, this is really the first foray into this high fantasy world that will later be super popular. I mean, you can't even... You can't do anything nowadays without seeing a high fantasy show, right? Wheel of Time is on Amazon Prime. Rings of Power is on Amazon Prime as well. Game of Thrones is on HBO as well as House of the Dragon. And now Disney has their competitor in that market, which is Willow, which is also tonally super different from all those. This is more family friendly. And not to say that Rings of Power isn't family friendly, of course, but those are definitely more a bit more darker, I would, I would, I would say. Those generally tend to follow the the Jackson mold a bit more because that's the audience that they're trying to reach again with that. But that's an important thing to note too: is that this is heavily inspired by Tolkien lore and literature, with Joseph Campbellian elements, and of course, just General Lucas's ideology along the way. So there's going to be a lot of connections between Tolkien lore and this film that you may recognize. So, for example here, the world that Willow is, is, takes place in, the world that Willow, the character, lives in, is called Motherworld, right? Which is basically just Middle Earth, if you want to think about it that way. Now, the aspects of it, the film, as the film starts, is very similar to how the Star Wars films start, where they have the opening crawl, which comes directly from those B-serial Flash Gordon epics that George Lucas loved as a kid. The crawl really sets you in a, in a place in time. It establishes where the cold open, if you will, starts. It puts forth the main characters and the and the drive without without needing to have another scene beforehand to set things up or to have clunky exposition. What I really like about the opening crawl here is that it is very reminiscent of what you see in Solo, A Star Wars Story, which is also another Ron Howard-directed piece of film. It's it's a unique crawl from that of Star Wars as well. It's like, it's like quick note cards almost, right? Instead of the full-on, you read a line, it's still going up as it goes on. It's just, there's maybe a sentence or two for 20 seconds or so, and then it switches to another thing, and there's three of them. Like I mentioned, it already puts you into this realm of high fantasy. And again, that's something vastly different from what Lucasfilm had shared before in both Star Wars and Indiana Jones. I have the full crawl written out here, and I'm going to read it to you just so that you're all caught up at home. The opening crawl starts with, It is a time of dread. Seers have foretold the birth of a child who will bring about the downfall of the powerful queen, Babmorda. Seizing all pregnant women in the realm, the evil queen vows to destroy the child when it is born dot 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 let me tell you what queen bavmorda is absolutely ruthless all this baby murdering i mean come on now she's right up there in line with anakin in that department am i right oh well all the hopes and dreams are with this little child now that we basically follow on through the course of this movie she will one day bring about the end of queen bavmorda and Bavmorda has the look akin to the evil queen, if you will, from Snow White, at least in my opinion. I also am a big fan of that biblical reference and having the baby float down the river, similar to like, a, like a, the Moses story. It signifies the start of a grand adventure to me. 
the child will seemingly end up in the hands and protection of the most unlikely hero, Willow of Good. The race of people that Willow is a part of is called the uh, Nelwins. So just keep that in home uh, and keep that in your in your brain as, as everything's going out. There's the Daikini, there's the Nelwins, there's the Brownies. There's a couple of different different races here that, uh, that you will see throughout the film. It always puts a smile on my face seeing Warwick Davis. And frankly, he was only like 16, 17 when this film was filming. And then he was 18 when it was released. So that's pretty impressive when you think about it. He, he's not just a farmer in this story. He's a wife and kids. And at that age, woof. Couldn't imagine. And I tell you what, though, the most, probably the most majestic aspect of this movie to me is that hair. Look at Willow's hair. That's a great, that's a great mane on that character. Might be just one of the best parts of the movie, in my opinion, too. It's just got, it's, it's 80s to the, to the core, yet it has its own flair that I think only Warwick Davis is able to pull off. So Willow's home also just seems so cozy. And it's like, you know, it's got aspects of that, like, hobbit hole shyerness, if you will. I could spend hours there reading books and making soups. Willow and his wife, Kaya, realize that the baby is not safe in their home, so they bring her to the High Council for agreement on what to do next. The baby is a daikini, or a big person, if you will, and the High Aldwin proclaims, or basically like the, the, the priest, the magician, the sorcerer of this of the, of the, of the Nelwins, proclaims that the child must be taken all the way across the Great River to the daikini crossroads, so they can handle this problem. <laughs> Willow is reluctantly provided with the task of leading this journey since he inevitably found the child back on the riverbank. Personally, I love that this High Aldwin is like, I must consult the bones, only to be like, the bones tell me nothing. And then they also are like, praise the bones later on. What's What's the deal with the bones? I don't know. I feel like Jerry Seinfeld here when I'm uh <laughs> saying this what's the deal with the bones i got no idea the bones really mean nothing but it's just a fun little bit um that just adds to this world here like what in the world are they talking about here i don't know i'll i'd put my faith in the bones so i'd be honest migosh and vonkar volunteer to join willow's expedition and the famed burgle cut the unkind no one to will also join joins as the group's quote-unquote leader and i do like the physical comedic bit here that, that, that he, uh, he gets his comeuppance throughout the, the movie, particularly here in this opening sequence where he gets spit on by the baby. Now, I didn't go into full depth about this aspect of the film, but Will, there's like a scene in the beginning where Willow tries to become an apprentice to the High Aldwin, and he... The High Aldwin sets forth this like this question where he asks potential pupils where he's like, which one of these uh, select the finger that has the power to control the world? And they everyone assumes that it's his finger, right? And he, he talks to Willow later on about this before he sets off on his journey. And he says, you know, which one would you have actually chosen? And... Willow said his initial intuition was to pick his own finger instead of the High Aldwins, which, frankly, would have been the correct answer, and he would have been the apprentice for the High Aldwin. Now, Willow, however, lacked the self-confidence and the belief in himself in order to stand out separately from the others. Now, that's part of his important character arc that you'll see throughout the course of this film. But let this instance be a lesson to those of you at home, right? Self-confidence can take you a long way. Listen to your own heart. 
and perhaps you too will be a great sorcerer one day. But, okay, maybe maybe you won't be a sorcerer, but it, it works for Willow and in this world, and the sentiment applies. Now, at this time too, I just want to address that James Horner's score for this film is so vastly underrated, like most of Willow itself, if you ask me. That Willow theme just screams adventure. And I implore you all to look it up on YouTube or your streaming service. This is now that you get music, Spotify, Apple Music, whatever. It will be stuck in your head for the rest of the day, I promise you. Now, the design for General Kale is just brilliant. How terrifying and menacing. In a post-He-Man and Skeletor world, this villain is exactly right for late 80s high fantasy. I want a skull mask just like that. I mean, don't you? He is tasked along with Sorsha and uh, Sorsha, who's Queen Bavmorda's daughter, into tracking the lost baby, the baby that currently is in Willow's uh, uh, care. The seer that's alongside Queen Bavmorda warns of Sorsha's impending betrayal, which, spoiler alert, comes to pass later on. And folks, at this point in the movie, we get to meet Val Kilmer as the great Mad Mardikin. And for the moment, he is stuck in a bird-like cage built for a grown person. He's the greatest swordsman that ever lived, according to his own words. He's a swordsman with no banners. He fights for himself, and that is most likely why he's in that cage at the moment. He has no friends around him. He's got he's got no one to protect him. He's just kind of off on his own, doing his own thing. Burglecut and Vankar decide to leave the baby with Mad Mardigan, kind of just outside of Mad Mardigan's cage, <laughs> expecting that someone will come along to, to, to pick her up. But... They don't want to press onwards. Willow, rightfully so, and this is another good lesson, recognizes that this move is terrible and remains with the infant despite the danger that surrounds him. And Migosh, Willow's friend, is also a good lad and stays with his pal. He is very brave. Migosh and Willow eventually decide to let Mad Mardigan go in the promise that he takes care of the baby and feed her. However, the journey obviously does not end here. The baby eventually gets stolen by a brownie, which is basically um, a forest fairy, if you will. Just bear with me. You kind of have to watch the movie in order to get a sense of what a brownie actually is. Who trap the 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 two Nelwins in a deep hole and tie them up. And I got to say, the special effects here by ILM are excellent. So kudos to Dennis Murin and Phil Tippett and team for, for putting all this together. I think for the most part, the effects still hold up today. And when you watch the Light and Magic documentary series, you really get a sense that they were at the forefront of all this technology. So if it may seem a little bit off to you, just remember like this was literally the first time they did something like this. And we learn that the baby's name now is Elora Dannon. And this is from the, uh, I guess, the priestess, witch, sorceress, Sherlandrea. It's hard to say. I mean, just kind of like a Galadriel type character. Um, that's who... We we learn she's like a like a floating spirit in the sky that tells Willow what her what the child's name is. It's Alora Dannon. We learn that she has been chosen by Willow to be her guardian, and Willow is also tasked with taking Sherlandrea's wand to the sorceress Finn Razil, um, who will then guide both Will and Alora to the kingdom of Tirasleen, where a good king and queen will look after the baby. And Willow responds with. I'm a nobody, and and frankly, that's just wrong. That's wrong, Willow. You are a somebody. A somebody with a good heart, a clear conscience, a sense of right and wrong. You are the perfect person to see this journey through, if you ask me. And 
All we have to decide, frankly, is what to do at the time that's given to us. Again, that's a quote from Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings. And in time, he will overcome his self-doubt. I believe in him. A great warning is, wishu- is issued, though, if Elorodan is unable to fulfill her destiny. Queen Bavmorda will bring down, uh, bring about the downfall and destruction of everything, including Willow's home village and the Nelwyn people. The stakes, frankly, could not be any higher. Willow makes a choice to continue on this hero's journey. Migash is sent home as his adventure comes to an end. This is time for Willow to go off on his own adventure. Two, two brownies do accompany Willow, though, on this leg of the, of the uh, expedition. Eventually, they end up at some type of tavern and run across our favorite swordsman again, Mad Mardigan, who is dressing in drag, if you will, to disguise himself, which is quite hilarious, especially for the late 80s comedic humor of it all. Especially as that character Lug becomes more infatuated with him as uh, he's like, whoa, you're a woman? <laughs> he even starts a hilarious fight in the tavern when he finds out that Mad Mardigan isn't exactly who he thought he was. Now, I will say the escape scene on the horse-drawn carriage cart thing is really well done. It's a high fantasy version of the caravan sequence in, Bo- in Raiders of the Lost Ark, as well as the precursor to the tank sequence that will be done in The Last Crusade. Lucasfilm and ILM team have certainly perfected their craft over the years. Now, at this point, Mad Mardigan is kind of a part of the crew. The group continues to grow as the adventure carries on, or or sort of. I mean, he's kind of there, he's kind of not there. It's, it's kind of how the middle of the movie goes. Mad Mardigan certainly has these roguish Han Solo-esque qualities within him. And perhaps that is why I personally... Anthony King, I'm so drawn and compelled to by his character. He also has some playful banter between he and Willow, and and their kind of bromance journey that they have throughout is it's just fun to watch. Now at the lake, Willow comes across the sorcerer Finn Rezel. However, she is in the form of a possum. Didn't expect that one now, did you? Willow now needs to turn her back into her human form using the wand provided by Sherlandrea. Unfortunately, at this time, Mad Mardigan is captured by Sorsha and her band of, of, of troops. They find Willow and capture Alora Dannon to take her to the Nakmar Castle for the ritual to proceed, basically, Queen Bevmore to killing her. Things are not looking good at this point. Willow is captured by the troops as he, too, is a prisoner along with Mad Mardigan. And I like how Mad Mardigan puts Willow on his back when he starts to struggle to walk amongst the snow. Just a neat little simple act of kindness can go a long way. Help each other out. Grow as friends, ladies and gentlemen. The journey is really the most important part along the way, not the destination. And let me just have a little gripe with this film, and and I I get it too, like time and place. But I I I really don't like how they just say Peck to Willow all the time. They call him Peck. It's just it's bad name calling, and it's not nice. Just be kind to people. There's there's no need to put each other down. We already have a lot going on in the world that we don't need to one-up each other, put each other down. Just It just doesn't work for me. Don't do that. Now, Willow turning Finn Rizel back into her human form is the first morphing sequence, as we learn from Light and Magic. However, in this first attempt, Willow turns her into a bird, which I believe is kind of a raven, which, oh boy, Willow does need to do some practice with magic if he wants to become a great sorcerer. Now, I'll tell you what. Sorcia falls really fast for Mad Morgan, even though he's under the spell of the broken heart dust that the brownies accidentally pushed into his face. 
His smooth talking really swayed her. Nevertheless, we get to see Mad Mardigan's excellent swordsmanship as he and Willow both escape from this camp. Now, although Willow does say to him, you are great in the classic clip of this film where Mad Mardigan slips in the snow right afterwards. And, you know, frankly, everybody, we can't always be graceful. Another lesson to be learned at the end of all this. Willow, Mad Mardigan, and Alora Dannon sled down on the snow-covered mountain atop a shield. And frankly, what a great adventure set piece. Poor Mad Mardigan gets caught in a snowball himself as he keeps tumbling down the mountain. Again, not everything is as graceful as we want it to be. It always warms my heart when Mad Morrigan proudly declares that he serves the Nelwyn. Willow. Friendship, everybody. It's a powerful thing. Sorsha has now been captured by Mad Morrigan as they have a little tussle with the, the troops once uh, they eventually catch up to them down the mountain. So now they're all together. Willow, Mad Morrigan, Alora Dan, and, and Sorsha, as well as the Brownies. And perhaps the love between both Mad Morrigan and Sorsha will continue to blossom. It's very Han and Leia-like, am I right? Sorsha's frankly not game for his sweet talking, though, uh, without anything to back it up. She she's eventually finds out that it he was a little bit under something. And she eventually escapes Mad Morrigan as the group heads, to, you know, they continue towards T-Wrestling. Which, eventually, they do make it to the, the main castle for this land. However, Tyr Esleen has fallen prey to Queen Bevmorda's malice. A couple of spells and plagues have made it a shell of the castle and kingdom that was once a promising place. And can you really blame the queen if you knew that there is going to be... She's already going to great lengths to kill every baby that is born, every female baby. And uh, now that that is the case, she's like, well, I should also destroy the castle so that there's nothing. There's no like seed for that 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 person to have a stronghold to take up arms against me. I mean, kind of makes sense if you will. But wow, in that crazy little defense that Willow and Mad Morgan try and put up against the uh, Nakmar soldiers when they eventually catch up to them here, what is that armor that Mad Morgan puts on? It's certainly a look, and that's all I'll frankly say about that. I mean, come on now, look, just look at that thing. Willow also tries to turn Finrazel into a human again, but instead, instead of being a raven now, she turns into a goat. I guess that's one step closer to human form, but it's not really great. <laughs> again, Willow needs more, more practice in this realm if he wants to, to uh, become a great sorcerer. Now, I really like the troll design in the Willowverse, if you will. It's much different from any other interpretation that I am aware of, certainly very unique. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's not Wheel of, I don't know, Wheel of Time is one. I guess I don't really see too many trolls otherwise. Now that I think about it. But it is certainly unique from the interpretation and design of the Jackson films, for sure. And the peril of this castle fight sequence is intense. Willow turning a troll into a two-headed dragon-like beast? More trolls? Mad Mardigan's booby traps all throughout. It just goes to show again the main point of Willow. Anything can happen no matter your size or strength. We can all be the heroes in our own right. Even against the most dangerous and highly trained army in the world. And frankly, I found that the best comedy moment in this film, and it still holds up to me to this day too, is Mad Mardigan yelling back at the troll that's right 
in his face. The troll yells at him, ah! and then Mad Morgan, in his very Val Kilmer-esque performance, responds back with, ah! I mean, you, you got to see the film. It's, it's all there. It's great. <laughs> um, and also, Mad Morgan and Sorsha do share a kiss in the sequence. You know, perhaps she was falling more for him than she led on to believe, right? Mad Morgan's pal Eric and his army and the Brownies also come to save the day in the fight, drawing General Kale away. However, Alora Dannon has been taken by the general once more. Sorsha, though, seems steadfast with Willow's cause now, too, fulfilling that prophecy that the seer informed her mother, Queen Bavmorda, in the beginning part of the movie. And the baby Eulora Dannon is now taken to Nakmar Castle, setting up the final stage of this movie. Eventually, they, the, the crew also follows them along to the castle, and the queen really goes off on a, on a set of malice here, where she transforms basically all of the soldiers that are outside of the camp, or the dwellings, if you will. Basically, it's just Willow and, and um, Finn Razel in the tent which is why they don't turn into pigs but okay they turn into pigs and i remember the the pig transformation sequence to be absolutely terrifying as a kid and it still frankly haunts me a little bit now but props to the ilm again to make this effect look incredible the queen babmorda also made her choice against sorsha as she explicitly turns her own daughter into a pig as well so basically, let's set the stage here. It is just Willow left now, and everyone else is a pig. You heard that, right? This is this is the fantasy of it all, ladies and gentlemen. This is where it gets a little, you know, if you weren't in it from the start, this is this is where it really just turns off into a high fantasy epic. Will needs to transform Finn Razel back to human form in order to get her into the fight. This instance is the true morphing sequence that is the subject of a long segment in the Light and Magic documentary series, the, the, the series that is all about the ILM special effects and visual effects studio uh, that is the part of Lucasfilm. So if you want to learn more about how this came into being, be sure to check out episode five of Light and Magic. And you can also go check out our previous episode on Forest Ghost Conversations, where I do a little discussion about that sequence in the episode and how they talk about it coming together. But Willow does make it happen, everybody. When all hope seemed lost, our most unlikely hero saved the day. Finn Razel turns back. She turns everyone back into their human form and puts a protective spell on the camp so that this really can't happen again. If I haven't mentioned it before, I just want to take a moment here to really note that the set design is everything that I could want it to be. Castles. Mountains, you know, fighting debris everywhere is everything that I could imagine from a Tolkien-inspired world. Both Willow and Finn Razel stand proud as powerful sorcerers in front of the Nakmar castle once the first light of the next day takes place. They allow the Nakmar soldiers to let their hubris take over them, allowing the hidden soldiers now, Sorsha, Mad Morrigan, and Eric's army, to enter into the castle and start this climactic third act battle. Sorsha especially is wonderful for going into her mother's lair and standing proud against her tyranny. And it's clear that the queen, her mother, 
only cares about her power. Right. At this point, it's she's she's basically a lost cause. Two powerful sorcerers duking it out over the fate of the world, though, between Finn Reisel and, and Queen Babmorda. Sign me up. Sign me up for this third third act, ladies and gentlemen. Am I right? Come on now. It doesn't get much better than that. Willow does his own part in this sequence, too. He is brave, doing absolutely everything necessary that he can to save Alora Dannon. Mad Mardigan breaking K- General Kale's mask is just epic, if you ask me. That is definitely up there for a top moment in this film. For me, it just foreshadows the eventual defeat at the hands of Mad Mardigan, which only takes place a few moments later, but it's just a really cool visual design of it all. And to the audience, though, that is just a signifier of what is to come. And all I have to say is those acorns really came in handy that Willow got at the beginning of the movie from uh, from uh, the... Oh, let me go back in my notes because I've, I've been rambling a lot here. <laughs> the High Aldwin. He got, he got it from the High Aldwin. And let me get back to where I was. He got those acorns from the High Aldwin. And it, and it would have worked. It would have turned her to stone or any other person, frankly, if uh, unfortunately the Queen Bavmorda is not as, you know, if she wasn't as strong in magic as she is, then it would have worked out perfectly. And she would have been turned to stone. All would have been saved. What, what have you. But Willow will get his chance again later on. He uses his quote-unquote magic to send Aloradan into a realm where magic cannot touch her, in his, in his words. But in a plot twist, it was just his disappearing pig trick. Again, I, I should have mentioned this from, from the beginning. I, I didn't talk at all really about this like little festival that they did in the beginning of the film where Willow failed at doing this incredible disappearing pig trick and everyone saw through it but it works in this instance you know you try again practice makes perfect everybody the disappearing pig trick finally worked and that is just perfect this is really the 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 aspect that queen Vavmorda was never anticipating someone to use a magic trick against her not actual magic at all but a magic trick (laughs) since queen Vavmorda is unable to complete the ritual in time she is obliterated by uh, by the magic that she was trying to use uh, to, to defeat uh, the baby. <laughs> the lesson here to be learned is the dark side is always unnatural, and eventually it will have a cost. So it's best not to partake in it, ladies and gentlemen. But Willow, our wonderful Willow, Willow of good, rightfully so, is the hero of the day. He saved the mother world, Elora Dannon, and is able to complete his quest, journeying home to a wondrous applause. In the final ceremony of the film, he even gets a book of spells by which to continue his magical journey. And that, I believe, is something that we will see when we catch up to him in the Willow sequel series, the the TV series that will be on Disney Plus very soon, where we see him actually be a great sorcerer. And Willow, again, gets a hero's welcome upon his return home to his village. The joy that Willow brings to me is amazing, ladies and gentlemen. And I also do like, again, we talked about this earlier, the physical comedy of it all, where this bird just takes a, a poop on Burglecut's head. I laughed. <laughs> a little crude humor humor to end a movie is never a bad thing, if you ask me. Especially for one that is like, it, it fits in line with the tone of what this film was trying to do. So Willow is reunited with his family, and thus, and thus we conclude our fairy tale adventure. I'm very excited for the Willow series. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't tell, I love this film. 
it's been a part of my life for so long now. I even, I don't know if I got to share this, this story with you all, but when my wife and I got married in 2020, we spent basically the entire week, because there was nothing else to do, uh, we basically just spent the whole weekend celebrating by watching various movies. And I selected Willow for us to watch. So that is just, you know, it, you talk about the aspects of family and found family and bringing families together, forging families and whatnot. This is really what it's all about. And at the center of that is Willow. And that uh, it pays a, a, a fun role in my own family story here. Willow, again, is true tip of the iceberg storytelling that I'm thrilled has another chance at continuing the adventure. I know that there were several books in the mid to late 90s, I believe. There's like a trilogy that's kind of like a sequel, but I don't think those count in canon. They're also really hard to find. I've I've literally been on the hunt for them for so long, and I've never been able to come across them ever. So, hey yo, maybe they'll get a reprint once uh, the series comes out. I I would hope so. Let's well we'll see. But as they as Willow says in the sequel trilogy, uh, not the sequel trilogy, <laughs> got Star Wars on the brain sometimes here, folks. As Willow says in the trailer for the series that is coming up. He says, Into the Unknown, that's where we go. And that's frankly where we're at here when it comes to the fertile ground that is going to be this sequel series. I, I don't know really what the story is all about yet, but I just know that it's going to be great. I have full trust in, in the team behind it. I like the cast they have set up for this series thus far. Ron Howard is involved to some extent, but this is really John Kasdan, his his story. It's his story. He's I believe he's directed all the episodes, if, if not most of them. But this to him, right? So if we can talk about John Kasdan for a second here before we conclude. John Kasdan co-wrote Solo, A Star Wars Story with his father, Lawrence Kasdan, who famously wrote Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, Solo, a Star Wars story, Raiders of the Lost Dark, right? This man is, is pivotal to creating some of these wonderful movies that, that uh, frankly, we may not have Force Ghost conversations if he's not a part of the film in some capacity. So there you have it. But John Kasdan, his son, grew up in a time where if you were born post the Star Wars trilogy, that's you hear a lot of people talk about the dark times of Star Wars fandom. And that would be the post-Return of the Jedi era to when the phantom menace comes out because you don't know if star wars is ever coming back you have the expanded universe but it's not like today where we have all the movies we have a steady pipeline of star wars content whether it be animated stuff tv series shows comic books books publishing initiatives it's all there we have it all now more so than ever but he grew up in a time where all he had really to get excited about for a new release that was really his to own was Willow. So there's certainly a person that is behind this series that is perhaps more passionate about this work than ever before. So I have full trust in that work. Davis is obviously reprising his role as Willow of good. And we're going to see how I believe it takes place maybe 20 plus years after the events of the first film. So we're going to see how he has grown as a character I know there's some children of, of uh, fan favorites that are going to be coming up in the, in the series. And we'll see how they all interact with each other as Willow gets underway. 
So with that, everybody, that is our discussion of Willow, the classic 1988 film. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you were able to go check it out on Disney Plus or if you have it on home media in some way, shape, or form. Be sure to check it out and get hyped for the upcoming Willow TV series. We're going to be discussing it week to week here on Forest Ghost Conversations, just like we do for Andor, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Book of Boba Fett. It's going to take us through the holiday season and hopefully up to when The Mandalorian comes out. Season three of The Mandalorian, I should say. So with that, everybody, let's continue the conversation. Be sure to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Just search Forest Ghost Conversations, and we will be there in some capacity. And we'd love to chat about Willow, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, all things under the Lucasfilm banner. If you feel so inclined to, we have a Willow-inspired logo. If you look at the artwork for this specific podcast episode, you will see that specifically. And if you like that logo design, we have that on our merch site. Our T Public store has that merch available if you want to purchase that for yourself. You know, get a coffee mug, get a t-shirt, get a hoodie. You name it. There's several different options available to you. So be sure to go check that out then if you feel so inclined. Also, if you're loving Forest Ghost Conversations, be sure to rate, subscribe, and review the show on your podcast listening site of choice. And if you have friends that are into all this stuff, be sure to let them know about us. Let's continue to grow the seats around the campfire here that is Forest Ghost Conversations and have these wonderful discussions about these shows, movies, and various content that is coming out down the pipeline. So with that, everybody, that is all that I had for this week. We'll be back on Sunday with a brand new episode of Forest Ghost Conversations to take a deep dive into Andor episode 11. So until then, may the Force be with you. Take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.